Section 42 of At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Maratha War by J. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esterman Simonides. At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Maratha War. Chapter 20. Home, Part 2. Two days later, Harry took his place with Abdul in the north coach, and, after spending a day at Norwich, drove in a post-chase to Mertford. Here he heard that Parley House was two miles distant, and, without alighting, drove on there. It was a fine house, standing in a well-wooded park. On a footman answering the bell, Harry handed him his card, Major H. Lindsay. He was shown into a library, and, a minute later, a gentleman entered. He was about sixty years of age, of the best type of English squire tall, inclined to be portly, with genial face and hearty voice. "'We are of the same name, I see, Major Lindsay.' "'We are, sir, and, strange as it may appear to you, of the same blood.' "'Indeed,' he said, shaking hands with his visitor. "'What is the relationship? It must be a distant one, for I was not aware that I had any connection of your rank in the army.' "'By the way, now that I think of it, I have seen, in the reports of our campaigns in India, the name of Captain Lindsay frequently mentioned.' "'I am the man, sir.' "'I am glad to know that one who has so distinguished himself is a relation of mine, however. "'It is not so very distant, sir. "'In point of fact, I am your nephew.' Squire looked at him in bewilderment. "'My nephew?' he repeated. "'Yes, Mr. Lindsay. "'I am the son of your brother, also Major Lindsay, of the Bombay Army. "'I returned from India but ten days ago, "'and learned for the first time, from the governors of the company, "'the family to which my father belonged. "'Had it been otherwise?' I should have written to you years ago to inform you that I was the infant who was supposed to have perished when his father and mother were killed. Harry thought that the colour paled a little in his uncle's face. You have, of course, proofs of your identity? The letter said gravely. Certainly. I have the evidence of the Indian nurse who saved my life and brought me up, that of a cousin of hers who was an officer of the band that attacked my father, and that of her brother with whom I resided from the time she brought me there, three days after the death of my parents until I was twelve years old, when she placed me with a lady in Bombay, for two years and a half, to be taught to speak English perfectly. After that, I was some three years in the service of the Peshwa. These depositions were, by the order of the governor of Bombay, sworn to by them before the chief justice there. My identity was fully recognized by the governor of Bombay, who had once recommended me for a commission, in consequence of some service that I had rendered to the government, and the recommendation was accepted by the court at home and my commission dated from the time of my appointment by the governor i see a likeness in you to my brother who when i last saw him was about your age i do not say that you are exactly like him but your expression and voice both recall him to me as a matter of format of course i should like to see these depositions i am curious to know the details of your adventures but that will keep i will at once introduce you to my wife and daughter like your father i was unfortunate in my children I know that you had several brothers and sisters born before you, all of whom died in their infancy. I did not marry until some years later than he did. I had two boys, who were both drowned when out in a fishing boat at Yarmouth. My daughter was the youngest. He rose from his seat and led the way to the drawing-room, where a lady some fifteen years younger than himself was seated at work, with a girl of nineteen or twenty. My dear, he said, I have a surprise for you. This gentleman, Major Lindsay, who has distinguished himself greatly in India, is our nephew. He claims, and I may say at once that I see no reasons whatever to doubt it, that he is the child of my brother Harry, who, as you may remember, was, with his wife, killed in India a few months after we were married. 
my inquiries resulted in leaving as it seemed no room for doubt that the infant had perished with his parents and that its body had been devoured by wild beasts but it now appears that he was saved by his nurse who happened to have a relation who was an officer in the party that attacked harry's camp she took him to the house of a brother and there he was brought up and he afterwards went down to bombay where he satisfied the governor as to his identity and received a commission i have not heard further particulars yet but major lindsay i suppose i shall come to call you harry in time nephew will tell us all about it himself i am sure that you will join with me in welcoming harry's boy heartily and in my satisfaction that he has proved himself well worthy of his race harry was just a little surprised at detecting a tone of warning in the manner in which the last words were spoken and at the agitation with which mr lindsay had listened to her husband this disappeared however as she held out her hand to him i welcome you back to england nephew yours is indeed a strange story i know that my husband was greatly attached to your father yes i loved him dearly mr lindsay said and can see resemblance to him in his son he is taller and more strongly built than harry was i do not see that the features are very alike but there is something in the expression of his face and tone of his voice that recalls him to me strongly this is my daughter mary we call her so after your mother it was a fancy of mine for i knew her well before she married your father the two families were on terms of great friendship and for her sake as well as for my brothers i gave her the name i am glad to meet you cousin the girl said holding out her hand frankly to him it is of course a great surprise to us and i can hardly realize yet that you are really my cousin now harry his uncle said briskly i will give orders to have your things taken out of the post-chaise and carried up to your room we shall be having lunch directly and after that you shall tell us your story at full length ten minutes later they sat down to lunch when harry rejoined the others he fancied he saw tears of tears in the eyes of mrs lindsay and her daughter and he thought that perhaps they had been thinking that if their own boys had lived they would also be young men now after the meal was over the squire said now wife we will adjourn to the library it is the most comfortable room in the house and the coziest just the place for listening to a long story i have told william to get two more armchairs there so that we can sit round the fire which is quite the proper thing to do when a story has to be told the light had faded out of the sky and the curtains were drawn but the squire would not have candles lighted saying that the blaze of the fire was the proper thing to listen by harry related fully the manner in which he had been brought up and trained by his nurse for the time when he could present himself at bombay and also his adventures in the deccan which had paved the way for his obtaining a commission he told the rest more briefly though he was obliged in answer to the questions of the others to go somewhat further into his personal adventures it is a wonderful story the squire said when he at last finished there are many things that you have cut short and which you must some other time tell us fully your poor father would have reason to be proud of you indeed had he lived to see you now he thought that he was wonderfully fortunate in obtaining a majority at the age of thirty-five but you have got it ten years younger well we have not spared you for we have kept you talking over four hours dinner passed off quickly and when wine had been placed on the table and the servants retired mr lindsay said you will understand harry that though absolutely certain that you are my nephew i do not resign and offer you my seat at the head of the table until the documents that you have brought are formally examined what do you mean uncle harry asked in surprise i mean of course that as your father's son this estate is yours and not mine harry rose to his feet i don't understand you uncle i never dreamt for a moment and he stopped that your father is my eldest brother yes he was a year older than myself and at his father's death would of course have succeeded to the estate but he died before him and you as his son will of course succeed 
but i could not dream of such a thing uncle do you think that i have come down here with the idea of turning you and my aunt and cousin out and taking your place if i had known it i should not have come down at all it would be monstrous if after having you been master here for twenty-five years i should come down to claim the estate from you i am glad to hear you say so harry his uncle said gravely naturally it did not occur to us that you were ignorant that your father is the eldest son we thought from your manner that you would be willing to arrange everything on amicable terms for of course legally you are entitled to all the back rents which i honestly say i could not pay your aunt's little fortune and my portion his younger brother will be amply sufficient to keep us three comfortably but as to paying the arrears it would be impossible my dear uncle the whole thing is impossible i have returned home with an ample amount of money to live in luxury i did not think it necessary to mention in my story that nana fernuiz presented me with a considerable sum of money and bajirao did the same this i invested in land close to bombay which is now covered with houses and fetched five times the price i gave for it in addition to this i have been in civil employment for the past six years and as i have always been on the move i have never had the expense of an establishment and i have thus saved some five thousand pounds therefore i am master of something over ninety thousand pounds and can if i do not return to india which i have i may say already made up my mind not to do by an estate i have had very much more than my share of adventures and have marvellously escaped if i return my luck might change at any rate i have had enough of it i have made a very handsome fortune and even putting everything else aside would rather know that i owed all i possessed to my own good luck and exertions than to an accident of birth but that cannot be lad well uncle harry said obstinately if you choose to see things in that light all i can say is that i shall at once throw up my leave and return to india and if you choose to leave this house and estate it may go to wreck and ruin for anything i care well well my boy we won't say anything more about it now but we'll leave it to the lawyers to settle i shall certainly employ no lawyers in the matter uncle by all means obtain your solicitor's opinions as to whether the proofs that i have put in your hands are sufficient to establish beyond all fear of doubt the fact that i am the son of major harry lindsay it matters not whether my father was your eldest brother or not to any one except ourselves i am perfectly satisfied with having proved to the satisfaction of all in india that i am the son of a brave officer my object in coming to england was not to see whether i was entitled to money but simply to find friends among the families of my father and mother and if it were to end in my turning you my aunt and cousin out of the place you have believed to be your own for so many years my visit here would be a dismal failure and i should bitterly regret having set foot in england please do not let us say anything more about it the matter so far as i am concerned is concluded and nothing that can possibly be said will shake my determination in any way in order to break the silence for mrs lindsay and mary were both wiping their eyes harry went on now that we have finished this question uncle i will tell you how i got the ratification of the treaty that will some day be made for our occupation of singapore from the rajah of johore as far as the excitement out it was certainly the most stirring business that i was ever employed in and he at once launched into the narrative of his capture the escape the adventure with the tiger and the defence of johore it seems to me harry his uncle said when he had finished that you not only have as many lives as a cat but as a whole posse of cats i cannot but think that it was a wild business altogether and that having got the assent of the gentleman with a very hard name there is no occasion to bother about the rajah who seemed to have no authority whatever but he might have got it you see uncle it may be ten years or more before a governor-general might be able to attend to the business and it was as well to get it settled once for all what did the rajah present you with for Samy's capital he offered me a number of weapons and things but as i had no place to put them i could not be bothered with them i do not think the cash was at all a strong point with him and i don't suppose he had a thousand dollars in his treasury 
I was a little surprised that he did not offer me half a dozen young ladies as wives, but had he done so, I should have resisted the temptation, as they would have been even more trouble than the weapons. You never fell in love with any of the Indian beauties, cousin Harry? I have never seen any to fall in love with. The ladies of the upper class in India, whether Hindus or Mussulmans, always go closely veiled, and as to the English ladies, in the first place they were nearly all married, and in the second place I went as little into society as I could help, being on the Governor-General's staff, and nearly always on duty. Certainly I never saw anyone who caused my pulse to beat faster, which, I believe from what I have read, is one of the many symptoms of being in love. Harry then inquired about his mother's relations. I unfortunately can tell you nothing about them. She was an only daughter when she married your father. Both her parents died years ago. They only had a lease of the place where they lived in, and I really cannot tell you anything whatever about them. There was a son who would, I suppose, succeed to any property his father left, but he was in there to do well and was seldom at home, and I have never seen or heard of him since. Well, I am quite content with the relations that I have found, and shall not trouble myself to seek further. Four days passed. At the end of that time, Mr. Lindsay received a letter from his lawyer, and, after breakfast, asked Harry to go into the library with him. About that business that we were talking about, I have today received an answer to my letter. My lawyer is of opinion, from what I told him of these papers, that your case is a strong one, and that, though, if I chose, I might give you a great deal of trouble, he thinks that in the long run you will succeed. As I don't want to give you trouble, and as I am myself as completely convinced that you are my brother's Harry's son, as that I am his brother, the matter may now be considered as finally settled. Quite so, uncle. I don't want to hear anything more about it. If you choose to be obstinate and turn out, I can only say that I should be sorry that the old house, where my father and you were both born, should go to wreck and ruin. At any rate, let the matter rest for the present. Possibly it may yet be arranged to the satisfaction of all parties. It will certainly not be arranged to my satisfaction, the squire grumbled, unless you become master here. We will talk it over in six months' time. He related the conversation to his wife, who, to his surprise, looked pleased. "'Nothing could be better,' she said. "'It would be an excellent plan.' "'What on earth do you mean, Louisa?' "'You are as blind as an owl, Peter. "'There can only be one meeting, what he said. "'Only one arrangement that could be satisfactory to all parties.' "'And what is that, my dear?' the squire said, a little testily. "'I mean, of course, that he should marry Mary.' "'The squire sat down suddenly in a surprise. "'Such an idea has never entered my head,' he said. "'Why should you think of it? "'Why, the young fellow has only been here four or five days.' It is quite long enough for him to see that Mary is a charming girl, Mrs. Lindsay said. He has seen very little of ladies, and he is, no doubt, struck with the idea that she is an extremely nice girl. I don't say that he is in love with her, yet, but quite enough, perhaps, to foresee that, ere long, he will feel more ardent than he does at present, and that it is the only arrangement possible, since we are determined to turn out for him. Now mind, Peter, you do not throw out the slightest hint, either to him or to her, that such a solution has ever occurred to us. It might spoil everything. It would make Mary shy with him and might cause him to be awkward. You will give your consent to remain here for six months. By that time the question will have solved itself. If I am wrong, no harm will have been done. If I am right, the arrangement will be, as he says, a satisfactory one to us all. I was always against cousins marrying, Mr. Lindsay said, doubtfully. Don't be absurd, Peter. I don't say that, in some cases, there is not a good deal to be said against it. But where both the man and the woman are healthy, and come of healthy families, no union can be more likely to be happy. "'But I think I have heard you speak.' "'Never mind what you have heard me speak, sir. "'Circumstances alter cases, and this case is altogether an exceptional one. "'We certainly could not wish for a finer young fellow as Mary's husband. "'He is a desirable partner in every respect. "'He is himself well off, and although I quite agree with you that, "'whatever it costs, we must give the dear old place up. 
I grant that it would be very pleasant to avoid so terrible a wrench. The one thing I don't like is that man of his. He moves about so noiselessly that it is like having a ghost in the room. It is you who are absurd now, Louisa, the squire said. The man has, over and over, proved himself to be a most faithful companion to him. I own that it is a little trying to see him standing behind Harry's chair without moving, except when his master wants something. But after all, that is less fidgety than having footmen dodging about you. Well, Louisa, I will take particular heed of what you have said, and will be mum as a mouse until we see how the cat jumps. Miss Lindsay's provision turned out correct. Harry remained a week longer at Parley House. Then he heard that an estate was for sale, two miles away, and drove over quietly to inspect it. Ten days later he wrote from London, and said that he had bought the place. "'He is the most obstinate fellow that I ever knew!' Mr. Lindsay exclaimed as he read the letter. "'What is it, dear?' "'He has bought Hungerford's place, and never gave me the slightest hint of his intentions. "'Well, I think it will be so nice to have him so near us,' Mrs. Lindsay said decidedly. "'Oh, of course, and it will be so handy for—' "'Peter, will you take another cup of tea?' his wife said sharply, and Mr. Lindsay knew he had nearly put his foot in it. A week later, Harry came down again, to see, as he said, what required to be done to the house, and he needed no persuasion to stay at Parley Hall. To decide upon matters, he needed a great deal of advice, both from Mrs. Lindsay and Mary, and then, having put the house into the hands of the builders and decorators, he went up to town again. However, he frequently ran down to see how things were getting on, and, before the alterations were all finished, Mary had consented to become his mistress. Abdul preferred to remain as his master's body-servant, as before. He had even, before leaving India, picked up a certain amount of English, and had improved considerably his knowledge of the language during the long voyage. Mary, fortunately, had not shared in her mother's feelings about him, but, on learning that he had, several times, saved Terry's life, had taken to him greatly. He never returned to his native land. And although Harry and his wife talked sometimes of making the voyage to India, they were never unable to accomplish it. For, as children grew up around them, Mary was no longer free to travel. Abdul's devotion was now divided between his master and mistress and the little ones, who were never tired of listening to his stories of their father's adventures. Mr. and Mrs. Lindsay lived to an advanced age, and lived within a few weeks of each other. Harry then moved to Parley Hall, and sold the estate he had bought, as the management of one estate, and his duties as county magistrate occupied as much time as he cared to give. The only complaint made against him by his neighbours was that he did not care for field sports, but as he said he had seen enough bloodshed to last him his lifetime, and would neither shed the blood of bird nor beast, though he had no quarrel with those who liked that sort of thing. He kept up a regular correspondence to the end of her life with his old nurse, and his interest in his Indian friends never abated. He was an old man when the Indian mutiny woke out, and two of his grandsons took their share in the long siege of Delhi, and served with both the forces which, under Sir Colin Campbell, fought the ran to Lucknow, and finally broke the neck of the Sepoy mutiny. End of section 42 Recording by Esther Simonides End of At the Point of the Bayonet A Tale of the Maratha War by G. A. Henty